you're listening to the Wellness Cucina Podcast, where I give you tips and tricks about getting your family involved in the kitchen and making delicious and nutritious meals with ease. I'm Celestina, a chef, registered dietitian nutritionist, and a lover of good food, especially pizza. For whatever reason, our generation is super into fermenting and taking care of sourdough starters. Perhaps the need for taking care of things like this relates back to having a Tamagotchi in the late 90s. Anywho, today we're talking about fermentation. A lot of tasty foods and beverages come through the fermentation process. Beer, wine, kombucha, kefir, kimchi, sourdough, sauerkraut, vinegars, and my husband's favorite, hot sauce. So we're going to start out with the basics of fermentation. We're going to go a little bit more scientific than we normally do, but I think this is really fun, especially if you're already super into fermenting, to kind of understand the background of it. We're going to get down into the nitty gritty of how fermentation works, what happens during the fermentation process, some of the advantages of it for the food product and for your body, three different types of fermentation, different stages of fermentation, and then six tips for fermentation, and then we're going to get into a super basic way to start fermenting. So essentially, fermentation is a chemical process, right? It's a very scientific chemical process. Essentially, microorganisms use carbohydrates or sugars, such as glucose, for energy and for fuel. We actually use carbohydrates in our bodies as humans for energy and fuel as well. In humans, that's called ATP, or adenosine triphosphate, and that delivers energy to every part of a cell when we need it. Microbes also generate ATP using respiration, so like breathing, right? So aerobic, meaning with air, it requires oxygen, and that's going to be the most efficient way to generate ATP. Fermentation is going to be most similar to anaerobic respiration, meaning that it takes place when there isn't enough oxygen present. However, fermentation is going to lead to the production of different kinds of molecules, like lactic acid, which also leads to ATP, what we use to create energy, and what fermentation process also makes. But unlike respiration, the anaerobic process uses pyruvic acid. So depending on the environmental conditions, different cells and different microbes have the ability to switch between these two different modes of energy production, whether it's aerobic and they have oxygen, or anaerobic and they don't have oxygen. So what happens during the fermentation process? Fermentation typically occurs without oxygen, so the absence of oxygen in anaerobic conditions, and typically in the presence of beneficial microorganisms, so yeasts, molds, bacteria. And I know these aren't typically words that we associate with being beneficial, but for the fermentation process, they are essential. This is how these microorganisms are going to obtain their energy and create the fermentation process and be able to continue the fermentation process. So during the fermentation process, these microbes break down sugars and starches into alcohols and acids, making foods more nutritious and preserving it so people can store it over longer periods of time without spoiling. Fermentation also provides enzymes necessary for digestion. And this is really important because we're born with a finite number of enzymes, and as we age, they have a tendency to decrease. So fermented foods actually contain enzymes that are required to help break them down. So they kind of come pre-digested. Think of like a mama bird eating the worm and then regurgitating it into its baby bird's mouth. Sorry if that was very graphic, but that's kind of what fermentation does. So it aids in pre-digestion, and then during the fermentation process, the microbes feed on those starches and sugars, breaking them down so that they're easier to absorb once they are consumed. 
So what are some of the advantages of fermentation? They're really rich in prebiotics. They have beneficial microorganisms, so they can help keep our gut microbiome really diverse and really healthy. Essentially, it's the collection of microorganisms in our GI tract, and those are going to help break down and absorb the foods that we eat and allow our body to use, utilize them a little bit better. So they are essential, and we don't just want one kind of bacteria, we want a variety of different kinds, and consuming fermented products is going to help with that. So they help diversify our healthy gut bacteria, and the probiotics found in the fermented foods aid in strengthening our immune system because a healthy gut produces antibiotic, anti-tumor, antiviral, and antifungal substances. And pathogens do not do well in that type of acidic environment that fermented foods create. It really is nature's way of kind of blocking all of the funk out. So consuming fermented foods on a regular basis can be really beneficial. The fermentation process can increase the vitamins and minerals in food and make them more available for absorption. I know specifically that it enhances the vitamin absorption in cabbage. Consuming raw cabbage, cooked cabbage, and cabbage in the form of either sauerkraut or kimchi can be really important um, in diversifying your gut microbiome and ensuring that you have a variety of different bacteria in there as well. Especially if you've had GI issues in the past, the sauerkraut form of cabbage is going to be really beneficial, ensuring that you have a good microbiome. So fermentation helps to increase both B and C vitamins within the food, and then the probiotics found in those fermented foods can help to facilitate the absorption of the vitamins as well. So not only are they strengthening your microbiome, but they're helping your body to be able to utilize those nutrients better as well. So three different kinds of fermentation, lactic acid fermentation. So this is what happens when we make sauerkraut, um, homemade naturally fermented pickles, like we'll talk about in a little bit, and like kimchi, yogurt, and sourdough bread. This is essentially when bacteria is gonna be converting starches or sugars into lactic acid. And you'll notice sometimes when you're making homemade pickles, for example, that there's kind of a cloudy white substance on the bottom. That's gonna be your visual representation of the lactic acid fermentation. The second type is going to be ethanol fermentation or alcohol fermentation. Essentially here, yeast is going to break pyruvate into molecules, and this produces wine and beer. And lastly, there's acetic acid fermentation, where starches and sugars from grains and fruit ferment into sour-tasting vinegars and condiments. For example, apple cider vinegar, wine vinegar, and kombucha. There's two different stages of the fermentation process. The primary fermentation stage is pretty quick. Um, it happens pretty rapidly when the microbes begin working on the raw ingredients themselves. So fruit, veggies, or the dairy, depending on what you're making. These microbes are going to present in the surrounding liquid, such as the brine that we'll talk about in a minute. And then they prevent bad bacteria from colonizing the food instead. So the yeast or the other microbes then convert the sugars into other substances, such as alcohols and acids. This is a pretty quick phase of fermentation. The secondary fermentation is a little bit longer. It's gonna last several days or even weeks until the alcohol level rises and yeast and microbes start to die off um, because the available food sources become more scarce. So wine and beer brewers actually use this second form of fermentation to create their alcoholic beverages. While the pH of the fermentation itself can differ slightly, when you're starting out, that definitely affects the chemical reactions that are taking place between the microbes and their environment. But typically, once the alcohol is between 12 and 15%, it completely kills the yeast, 
preventing any further fermentation, and then that's when the distillation needs to begin to remove some of the water and condense that alcohol content to create a higher percentage of alcohol or a higger proof. So if you've never fermented before, here are some quick tips for starting your fermentation. So the first tip is, if needed, establish your starter culture. If you're making yogurt, this can be from whey. Um, if you're starting a kombucha, you'll need a scoby. If you have decided that you are going to be a sourdough maker, you're gonna need to start a sourdough starter. So we're not talking about those today, but there are definitely a great number of resources out there to establish a starter. We're starting even more simply than that today. Step two, regardless of what you're fermenting, you wanna ensure that your equipment is clean. So to prevent any funky bacteria from leaching into your fermentation, it's essential that you clean and sterilize kitchen equipment and surfaces that you're working on. I like to clean everything in the dishwasher beforehand so that I know that it's been thoroughly washed and has been heat dried. Third, you wanna avoid exposure. So essentially, you don't want your fermentation to be out in the air and in the open. We'll talk about some ways in just a bit on how it's gonna be completely submerged in your brine and how imperative it is to take care of your culture. And lastly, we'll talk about a couple of tips to start your fermentation. Once your fermentation's done, you wanna ensure that it's stored in an airtight container. A simple mason jar with a locking lid will work, although there are other containers out there that have a valve to release some carbon dioxide during fermentation. These are typically called burping lids. I'll share my tips of what I like to use in just a bit. And then lastly, fermentation management. So this comes into play over time, it really doesn't come overnight, but figuring out how to control the temperature of the environment that you're using. Perhaps it's warmer in your apartment one day and maybe you need to put the AC on, or you have a cellar and it's a little bit cooler, or maybe it's the winter time and you have a garage. So kind of finding that sweet spot of where the fermentation happens the best. Ideally, you want it to be at about room temperature, so like between 60 and 65. I know that's not most people's room temperatures, but that's kind of the ideal. So this is as basic as you can get for fermenting. This is how I started, and I think it's a really good place to start because it's less scary than trying to make a scoby or a sourdough starter or kefir grains. So this is a really good place to dive in if you haven't fermented. My fermentation equation, if you will, or brine, is three parts, salt, water, and time. So for every quart of filtered water that you have, you wanna add one to three tablespoons of salt. I like using kosher salt, not iodized. It has a better flavor and iodized has obviously other ingredients in it. We just want some pure salt. You can use pink Himalayan, you can use black sea, you can use whatever you have, just not iodized, please. The first step would be to dissolve your salt in room temperature water. I don't like heating up the water because then it kind of slows down the whole process. So if you can dissolve it in room temp water, that'll be perfect. Do so you want a glass container with a very tight fitting lid? The next step would then be to choose the fruit or veggie that you want to pickle. In the past, I've done green beans, beets, cabbage, peppers, onions, you name it. And it can be really fun. Try and think outside the box for whatever you may have leftovers of. At this point, you can add herbs, spices, or even hot peppers if you'd like. It's really good to note that if you add garlic to it, you should cook it slightly first. This is to prevent botulism. So I like to microwave it for about 30 seconds in water, or if you don't have a microwave, just let it boil in water for about 30 seconds to a minute, and this will help to relieve any chance of botulism. So when you're putting your veggies in your jar, it's gonna be really important to tightly pack them. You don't want anything floating up above that brine water line. So it's gonna be really important to get 
all of your veggies in there as tightly as possible. And if you have any wiggle room, you want to put some type of cabbage leaf or some other type of very sturdy leaf on top to ensure that everything is staying completely submerged in that brine liquid and that all of your veggies are fully coated. As I mentioned earlier, air is the kryptonite to fermentation. So you want everything completely coated in your brine liquid and then you'll be able to prevent any um, mold growth from occurring. So in addition to herbs, spices, potentially garlic or hot peppers, you can also add a little bit of vinegar to help balance out the pH. This can be good if you've never naturally fermented veggies before so that your pH won't be too acidic and it won't be too basic. It'll really help to balance that out. And if you like the taste of a specific vinegar, this may help to add some flavoring as well. So once you have all of your veggies, your flavorings and whatnot in there, and they're completely submerged, not floating, you wanna place a coffee filter over the opening of your jar and then screw it in place without the center of the lid in. So you just want kind of the airflow through the coffee filter and then that nice tight seal on the outside. When I mentioned earlier that you could use a burping lid, you could use it during this phase, but honestly, this works perfectly. And I recommend trying this first before you go spending a ton of money on burping lids and other kind of fermentation tools. You'll wanna keep the jar in a dark room, typically about 60 to 68 degrees for a minimum of three to four days and then anywhere up to seven. To keep it in the dark, I like to cover mine with a towel and then place it on my kitchen table. This spot in particular works really great for a variety of my fermentations. And this, again, may take some time to figure out where your house or your apartment sweet spot is, but try and keep it in a dark, relatively cool area. At this point, you wanna leave it covered for your desired amount of time, as it progresses and the longer you leave it to ferment, the more sour and potent it'll become. So I recommend if you've never done this before to taste it on day three to get an understanding of how you like your pickles to taste and then continue to taste until they're at your desired sourness or your desired potency. And then when they're to your liking, place the lid back on the jar and then store it in the fridge for up to one to two months. This is as very basic as fermentation gets and I hope I've opened your eyes to the wonders of natural fermentation and that you guys can give it a shot. Three main takeaways. One, ensure all of your tools and jars are clean. Two, mix your brine. One to three tablespoons of salt to one quart of filtered water. Three, choose a dark room temp spot and wait. Check out the IGTV video related to this podcast. Thanks for listening, guys. Reach out via email at cbrunettiwellness at gmail.com to leave comments, tell me about show topics you'd like to hear, or just to say hi. Check out Wellness Cucina's Instagram at chef underscore RDN for cooking tips, recipes, and IGTV videos that relate to the podcasts. If you're interested in learning more about how you and your family can build stronger bonds while gaining kitchen confidence, schedule a complimentary call. Link is in the show notes. Listen in next Monday when I'll be talking about ways to get kids involved in the kitchen and why it's important. 